Welcome to Still Pretty, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast from Chipperish Media. I'm film scholar Noelle LaCroix, and I've read all the parenting books. You cannot surprise me. And I'm story expert and dead fish on a string, Lonnie Diane Rich. And we're here today to talk about Passion, the 17th episode of season two. Passion aired on February 24th. 1998 and was written by Ty King and directed by Michael Gershman, a couple of sadists who live to destroy us. Yes, bastards. <laughs> this is really hard. All right, a warning before we begin. Every episode of Still Pretty talks about each episode within the greater context of all of Buffy and as such is fully spoiled. You have been warned. Passion speaks to us, guides us, rules us all, and we obey. So let's go on patrol then. I guess. In Passion, Angel stalks Buffy and her friends to an internal monologue about passion. He watches her as she gets ready for bed, then sits on her bed as she's sleeping. Passion rules us all, and we obey. What other choice do we have? Buffy wakes up in the morning and finds a drawing of her sleeping that Angelus left for her to find. She brings it to Giles, and they decide to try to find a spell that will de-invite Angel from Buffy's house, Willow's house, Giles' apartment, and of course, Cordelia's car. Giles goes to Jenny, who hands him a book that might help, and the two talk. I just want to be right with you. I don't expect more. I just want so badly to make all this up to you. I understand. But I'm not the one you need to make it up to. Buffy tells Joyce that she and Angel were dating and broke up and asks her not to invite Angel into the house should he come by. Jenny goes to the magic shop and gets an orb of Thessala, telling the shopkeeper she plans to give a friend his soul back. At school, Buffy talks to Jenny about Giles. He misses you. He doesn't say anything to me, but I know he does. And I don't want him to be lonely. I don't want anyone to. Buffy and Willow are de-angeling Willow's house when Willow finds a drawing of Joyce in her bedroom. Cut to Joyce coming home from grocery shopping to find Angel obsessing about Buffy. She asks him to leave, and he tells her that he and Buffy slept together. Joyce rushes into the house, and Angel follows, only to find himself blocked from coming in as Willow and Buffy perform the spell. Sorry, Angel. Change the locks. Giles and Jenny speak at school, and she tells him she has some news. They agree to meet at his place later that night to talk. Jenny saves her work to a yellow floppy disk. Oh my god, a floppy disk! And just as she's about to leave, Angelus shows up and throws her computer to the floor where it immediately catches fire. And that's not how computers work. I mean, we freak out over romaine lettuce. If computers just burst into flames every time someone dropped one, the whole world would be on fire. And then... Lonnie. Oh, right. Sorry. Okay. So Angelus smashes the computer and the Orba Thessala and then chases Jenny through the school and snaps her neck. Sorry, Jenny. This is where you get off. <laughs> I never get tired of doing that. At Buffy's house, Giles shows up to check on the ritual, and things are going pretty well, except that Joyce is upstairs, having the absolute worst sex talk ever in the history of sex talks. I swear to God, for a moment there, I thought this bitch was going to pull out the chewed gum metaphor, but whatever. Ugh. Joyce and Buffy talk. 
and Giles heads to his apartment where he finds candles lit, champagne cooling, and rose petals strewn all about, set up by Angelus, who also left Jenny's dead body in Giles' bed. Giles calls Buffy and Willow with the news, and Angelus watches through the window, enjoying their grief. They meet Xander at Giles' apartment, but he's not there. Giles goes to the warehouse, throwing a Molotov cocktail into the place and wielding a burning baseball bat, ready to kill Angelus. Buffy gets there just in time to get her and Giles out of the burning building alive. Why did you come here? This wasn't your fight. Are you trying to get yourself killed? You can't leave me. I can't do this alone. Giles and Buffy talk over Jenny's gravestone, and Buffy apologizes for not being able to kill Angelus before. She wasn't ready then, but she is now. Meanwhile, in the school, as Willow is preparing to teach Jenny's class for her, she absently knocks a yellow floppy disk to the floor, where it falls between the desk and some filing cabinets waiting to be found at a more opportune time. I can't hold on to the past anymore. Angel is gone. Nothing's ever going to bring him back. All right. So, Noelle, passion. This is one of the first episodes of Buffy that is so, so very, very Buffy. It takes us to this really dark place. We kill one of our major characters. This is all kind of new ground for us. It's not terribly funny. We have like maybe one or two actually funny lines in there, you know? Yeah. But most of it is just heartbreaking and dark. And I'm really, really interested to know what you think. Okay. So this episode is so, so dark. Mm-hmm. I mean, and not just thematically because holy shit, but yes, visually, uh-huh. Visually, this is a dark episode, and I have really mixed feelings about this aesthetic. Uh-huh. Because it makes me, first of all, it makes me incredibly nostalgic for the X-Files. Right. <laughs> Where entire like, scenes were lit merely by, you know, flashlights that the main characters kept. Half a flashlight around, you know? and right. yeah, mm-hmm. ridiculousness. But it's absolutely beautifully shot. I mean, mm-hmm. the Scoobies walking home from the bronze past what looks like a couple, yeah. and then this body just drops to the ground and Angela steps out. I mean, it's gorgeous. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. so, so good. But there are also moments where I have zero clue what's actually going yeah, right. on because it's so dark. Mm-hmm. I mean, when Angelus is chasing Jenny through the school, it's hard to get a sense of even where they are yeah, right. or mm-hmm. how much space there is between them. And it's really disorienting. Mm-hmm. But that's also kind of great because isn't that the point? I mean, the moment where he catches her, how did he get up those stairs so quickly? Right. But but it doesn't really matter Mm -hmm. because it's not about the physics of it. It's about her terror. And I am just with Jenny in that moment. Yeah. And then he just snaps her neck. He doesn't even bite her. I know. He just And she just crumples. And it's, Mm -hmm. oh, it's so, it's, it's so like thematically on point all of these like really dark visuals and the really just I mean there's like no light anywhere yeah in this episode and we hear several times that Angel isn't the person he was before Um, Mm -hmm. as you know Buffy reflects on this with several different people 
And the like disoriented in the darkness sort of feeling watching this yeah. feels really appropriate for that experience. I mean, we yeah. are really hitting this hard that mm-hmm. no, he is he is changed and he's yeah. not just a little bit changed. It's not like sort of whimsical, you know, he's kind of a mustache twirling villain. He's like right. he's sadistic and Oh, <laughs> and we're seeing what he is like. We're experiencing what he is before we just had the stories, you know. Yes. Um, Giles would talk about things that Angelus had done, you know, and he was terrible. But it was it's that difference between showing and telling, which is one of the things that writers always hear about. Where it's like show, don't tell, you know. But mm-hmm. when you're talking about backstory, you pretty much always have to to tell unless you're going to go and do flashbacks. But that also is problematic. Go listen to Still Dead the angel podcast (laughs) where i complain about flashbacks every fucking week so um but the thing that's really like nice about us being able to experience who angelus is in the moment is that we are feeling and experiencing this along with buffy and willow and giles and you know even xander although xander never really liked him that much to begin with you know um (laughs) but i i like that we are watching him this guy that we loved that we loved with Buffy who was good that we trusted you know turning into this monster and getting a sense of what that experience is like because it is incredibly disorienting you know and to have all of this in this darkness which I actually really like I like the darkness of the story and I like the darkness of the presentation you know in in the film parts um, because you never really see the whole picture you never really know what is in the shadows and that Mm -hmm. is one of the really great things about um, about having darkness on screen is that we can't say that's what made the X-Files work so well because we can imagine what's in those shadows and it becomes much more real like the effect of it so any filmmakers out there use darkness to your advantage mm-hmm. um, because anything that's in those shadows we're going to imagine and our imagination is going to be so much power so much more powerful than anything anybody can put on screen and especially if you don't have you know the the effects budget to be able to do something really really convincing on screen using shadows and and you know using the momentum of the viewer's um, imagination can be like so much more effective so much more powerful it's absolutely a fantastic way to do it and here we have that disorienting experience the way that Buffy and all the Scoobies have had that we don't know what's in the shadows but we're scared of what might be there we're scared of what we imagine is there you know and here is Angel lurking in the shadows leaving little messages that he was there but if he had not left that picture for Buffy she wouldn't have known Right. That's how quietly this guy can like crawl through yes. a second story window. <laughs> and isn't that just the creepiest thing? Yeah. That, like Buffy with her, you know, her prophetic dreams and mm-hmm. her slayer spidey sense that they kind of use sometimes and kind yeah. of don't. But mm-hmm. you know, she's she has abilities that regular non-slayer folks do not yeah. have. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't notice in the yeah. moment that he's there and like yeah. caressing her forehead and ah, it's so I know it's so oh creepy, but it's so perfectly angelus. I mean, exactly. I think Willow says, you know, they're talking about you know how he's changed later on, and Willow says, "But you're still the only thing he thinks about." Right, and we right. really get this like. I mean, the, this truly dark 
story of the stalker mm-hmm. boyfriend. Yeah. I mean, oh, I, I mean, David Boreanaz, when he's doing Angel as love crazed boyfriend in that yeah. scene where Joyce comes home, he is so good. Yeah. And so scary as yeah. that guy who's just mm-hmm. a little bit like he's unhinged. Yeah. And it's, I mean, separate from the whole like, you know, he's a soulless vampire thing. Right. Like, he's mm-hmm. just he's a scary dude in that yeah. moment. Yeah. And there's a lot of that. I mean, I don't know how I feel about how much time we spend with Angelus. I don't mm-hmm. know. I mean, I love I absolutely love the moment where we see Buffy and Willow get the phone call from Giles. Yeah. And we don't hear much of what is said. We certainly don't hear Giles's end of the conversation. Mm-hmm. But we see through the window, through the curtains, what Angelus is seeing as he is spying on them and just delighting in their in yeah. their grief. Mm-hmm. And we're we're with him, so not with him as in rooting for him, but with right. him. We're you know, experiencing his, this in his point of view. Yeah, yeah. And I'm I'm fascinated by that decision. I think it works really well, but I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> do right? Have, mm-hmm. Do you have thoughts about that and the, like the voiceover? I mean, that it's it's Angelus who brings us into this whole right thing. Well. Typically, okay, there are certain things, like I mentioned flashbacks earlier, there are certain things that that writers do that tend to be weak. You know, they're weak narrative devices, or not that the narrative device in and of itself is weak. It is value neutral. Everything is about how you use it. But typically, uh, it it is the insecure writer who turns to voiceover in order to provide that backstory or that info dump or exposition, right? And it is the insecure writer who turns to flashbacks so that they can show us the past, you know, when it is not necessarily it doesn't have a story of its own it's just reflecting back on the on the present moment generally my advice is stay in the present moment that's where your story is stay with your story don't break your story so that you can go and explain something because explanation is the worst that's why poor Giles every week when he's got all this expository dialogue (laughs) which there's some explanation you have to do because otherwise people are like well I don't know why is this working blah 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 you know Mm -hmm. so trying to find a clever way to fit exposition into the story is very very difficult and sometimes you just have to slap it over top, you know, like the tar on the roof shingle. You just got to slap it on there, slap it on, move it around, and then move on with your day because there's not much else you can do, you know. So there are times where you're really in a corner as a writer, but overall you want to avoid that kind of thing. Now, in this particular instance, the voiceover is not serving as a um, like as an expositional you know, fairy kind of thing. It's not, mm-hmm. it's not serving up exposition. What it is, is it's kind of delivering this, um, this sense of everything through Angelus's perspective, you know, um, that we're seeing this, this creepiness coming from him in this almost poetic ode to passion, you know, that as if what he is doing is about like that, that passionate feel. He's showing that dark side of passion, which we associate more with just feeling so strongly about something that you love, you know, Mm -hmm. but he, he has this obsession with her. It's this dark side of whatever you would call that love, you know, from a vampire. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Because they can't, they can love to a certain degree, but it's always twisted. It's always dark, you know? So, um, so I really like actually the voiceover uh, with Angelus 
I think that it is, um, I think that it's interesting. I like the way it's written. It has sort of this poetry about it. You sort of get this sense of how he views what he's doing to her as being yeah. about, about a passion, you know, um, and, and having sort of a thematic element to it. Um, but at the same time, like we open with this voiceover about passion. We see certain things from Angelus's POV. We see the warehouse um, scene with Drew, you mm-hmm. know, um, with Drew and Spike. That's Angelus's POV. <laughs> we see him watching through the window. That's Angelus's POV. But we don't get anything else, I don't think, in this episode from Angelus's POV. So it feels like it's something that we use in the moment, but we're not carrying it through the episode. Like, had we bookended on his voiceover again? Had we yeah. had him close this episode out? you know, um, and, and used that. I mean, I like the way we ended the episode. I thought it was really cool where we hear Buffy telling Giles, I'm, I wasn't ready before, but I'm ready to kill him now. Nothing's ever going to bring him back. And then as she's saying that, like the, we see the floppy disk fall into the space between the, um, the desk and the, um, and the filing cabinet. Uh, so, I mean, so we do get like, it's a nice ending the way that it is, but in mm-hmm. the context in the greater context of the overall episode, we open with this poetic, you know, and jealous POV and we don't close in that. So it feels like we've opened up this space where we're in Angelus's POV uh, to the point where, where when Buffy and, and Willow find out about Jenny, we are seeing that in his POV, but we're yeah. not closing it. Like we're not taking it and, and really utilizing it all the way through the episode to make the episode about how Angelus sees all of this stuff, you know, which is something that I kind of would have liked. I mean, not that the whole episode needs to be in Angelus's POV, but that when we dip into these things that we, you know, we opened up this space, but we didn't close it at the end. Mm-hmm. Well, he has a little bit of voiceover at the end where he talks about, he says, without passion, we'd yeah. be dead. And then mm-hmm. and then we go to the scene with Buffy and Giles at Jenny's grave. Yes. And mm-hmm. then in terms of, I mean, it's not voiceover, but it serves as voiceover because we're hearing Buffy talking to Giles while we're seeing right. Willow taking over Jenny's class and oh my god is that not just so heartbreaking it's so heartbreaking yeah but this little segment serves kind of like a coda yeah you know so I guess we did I guess they did close it out I mean so I gotta take they... that back they did close it out but still like with this coda at the end I just kind of wanted it to be more I don't know you wanted it to just sort of wrap up with Angelus. I guess I wanted it to end on Angelus I wanted because... it to end on him the way it started on him yeah, and ending with Buffy to me suggests that we are making some sort of a parallel between mm-hmm. them. That her, right. her now her drive to end him mm-hmm. is equal to his drive to torture her. Yeah, mm-hmm. that we're saying something about They're that, reflecting but on yeah. each other a little mm-hmm. bit. Yeah, it just feels mm-hmm. a little bit messy. Like yeah. I think it's good. I think it's good, but it's just a little bit messy. Yeah, yeah. But, oh, man, oh, man, this episode's so heartbreaking. I mean, it is. We really, really ride the Rupert Giles emotional roller coaster. Yeah, we do. In this one. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, I mean, this might be my favorite Giles episode so far. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. There is so much nuance to Anthony Stewart Head's performance. I actually forgot a couple times when I was watching that I was watching an actor acting. Because so many of the choices he makes are so small and these just like subtle 
shifts. I absolutely, I love watching him register a thought. You can mm-hmm. see it occur to him what is going on or what is about to happen. It's wonderful. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I really, really want to scream when Giles tells Buffy not to let Angel get to her, you know, right. that mm-hmm. she can't tell her mother, you know, and I'm like, oh, yeah, child, come on. But yeah. the performance is fantastic. Like he's yeah. so serious in that moment. And his like, he's so stern with her. Yeah. And, I just, but, oh, oh, is that not just, like, the worst advice ever? (laughs) No, actually, I didn't think it was bad advice. Because I think that, like, what Angel wants or what Angelus wants is to goad her into doing something foolish that's going to get her hurt, you know? Um, And basically, Giles is like, don't let him you know, push you to the point where you act rashly because that's where you're dangerous. That's where you're in danger, you know? So I think that he was just trying to protect her. I don't think that he was expecting her to not feel the things, you know, but he just didn't want her to do something that would get her in trouble because that's exactly what Angelus wants. But the whole like ignore him and maybe he'll go away. I mean, Buffy makes a, makes a joke about it. And yeah, pretty much. And Mm -hmm really yeah i mean he's obviously clearly not gonna go away yeah you know i mean so that part of it is bad but i understand him saying keep your cool don't let him goad you into you know acting rashly which is you know ironic because of course that's exactly what giles does yeah at the end you know yeah well and and almost gets himself killed yeah Mm. that just didn't that yeah no i understand your problem with that i definitely do that Mm -hmm. did not sit right with me but but you know problematic advice aside i mean his perf- <laughs> like the performance is the performance so is so good yeah. um i love i love the moment when jenny says she's in love with him oh. and he obviously loves her too even though he doesn't say so you can like see the oh but that moment when she see- says is it too late for me to take that back and he says do you want to and you can see that he doesn't want her to take it back. Like, yeah, it's he, so he has so much layer, so many it, layers in that. It's incredible. It's so good, but he's also like allowing the space for that to for her to take it back if yeah. she wants to. Mm-hmm. I just oh, I love I love their interactions yeah, in this episode really so nice. much, um, and I love I love his loyalty to Buffy. Yeah, mm-hmm. I love the way he is forever taking her side and you know jenny says she wants to make it up to him and he says you know actually (laughs) i'm not the one you have to make yeah i'm not the one like you have to you've got to make this right with buffy this is not about me um and i just it's so it's so wonderful and then giles offering to intervene on buffy's behalf i know joyce and especially willow because willow's just like yeah sure what would you say and like what would you say i love the way that willow does that because it has this wonderful understanding of you know instead of looking at somebody and being like no that's the stupidest idea ever you just say okay let's let's go to the next space <laughs> right, there let, right, right. let them figure it out for themselves yeah. you know, which i thought was so so wonderful um and giles of course having that really like yeah I guess I guess you're right you know which I thought was absolutely fantastic um but I also love like you know he's so 
loyal to Buffy and he's like, you have to make it up with Buffy. And then Buffy, of course, goes to Jenny and says, he's lonely. I don't want him to be lonely. Yeah. You know, and yes. she's, and Jenny says, I feel bad. And she's like, good. Keep keep doing that. That'll yeah. we'll see how that works. Like, you know, Buffy's sort of like finding this space where she can work toward forgiving Jenny because she wants Giles to be happy. So yeah. the way that Giles is so loyal to Buffy and Buffy is also showing her loyalty to Giles. It's just so wonderful. It's I I know I said yeah. I say it probably every episode, but I love their relationship so I much. Love it too. I, I know it's love so their relationship. It's I lo- so good. <laughs> I love how complex it is and I love yeah. watching them each like try to say the right thing <laughs> to each yeah. other. Mm-hmm. Like they're they're trying so hard. Um, yeah, because they need each other. I mean, that's yeah. she says that's what she says to him at the end. Yeah. You know, I can't I can't do this alone. I know. Um, but uh, we I mean, if we're talking if we're talking Giles and we're talking Anthony Stewart Head's performance, I mean, mm-hmm. you cannot get more just oh, gut wrenching than yeah. when he arrives at his house. Oh, my God. And then he finds the note. You know, mm-hmm. and of course, we know this is dramatic irony. Like we know as viewers what the uh, what the main character does not know or the character that mm-hmm. we're watching in the moment does not know. You know, so we go through this whole experience. He comes home. He finds the champagne. He finds roses, candles lighting all the way up the stairs. The little note that says upstairs, of course, written in Angel's hand, not in Jenny's, you know. Yeah. Um. So we know we have this sense of foreboding and they've got this music playing in the background, which is a really very artistic choice. We don't usually go that sort of art house, you know, style with <laughs> yeah. this like this this you know classical music building up to this crescendo in the background you know as he's walking up and then he sees her and he drops you know the glasses and the champagne mm-hmm. falls to the ground we hear that crash and then we go back and see the close up of her her dead eyes open just staring you know her her head at this weird angle it is so incredibly creepy and beautifully done. And then we get Giles in shock talking to the police. And of course, mm-hmm. like in a situation like that, I mean, we don't go there and I'm glad that we don't. But I mean, the police, he's the boyfriend. She was dead in his bed. Yeah. Like they are going to have him as the suspect. Also not bitten, you know, yeah. not drained of blood. Yeah. So this is something that Giles could have done, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, all of that. I'm glad we don't play that line of conflict and that for some reason they figure out that he's innocent or whatever, because we don't need cops involved in Buffy, you know, yeah. but, um, but I mean, all of that together is so beautifully done. So heartbreaking. Every step he takes, he's feeling this, you know, this like sense of expectation, what the night is going to be with Jenny, that she has admitted that she loves him. He knows that he loves her. There's this whole thing. And then to find her like that is so devastating. Um, and that whole run, you know, when we see him gather his weapons, he goes off to the um, to the warehouse, throws in the Molotov cocktail, has a flaming baseball bat that he's swinging in the air. It's badass, Giles. And I absolutely love that. And I mean, especially when you consider, of course, that the irony of him telling Buffy, don't let him goad you yeah. into doing anything rash. Yeah. But Giles doesn't care if he dies. 
he just wants to get to get Angelus. And I love all of that. I think it is so beautifully done, beautifully expressed. And it's not out of nowhere for Giles because we've seen that Giles has had a dark history mm-hmm. that, you know, he is capable of killing. He is capable of, you know, of going after a vampire. It's not like he is completely incapable in this moment. You know, I mean, he's not going to be able to take on all of them. You know, he mm-hmm. does burn down the warehouse. So there is that. Um, but it is just, it's so beautifully escalated you know like this is this is what the escalations are and you're talking about the whole season this Mm -hmm. moment when jenny dies when angelus kills jenny is like an escalation pivot point for the uh for the season as a whole i mean it is essentially the dark moment this is when we lose a main character and when we Mm -hmm. as viewers don't feel quite so safe in this universe. I mean, those of us who've been around, you know, through through the run with uh, with Joss Whedon on this show and others, uh, we know to expect that, yes, that, you know, if we love somebody, they're going to die. If somebody's mm-hmm. happy for a yes. minute, yeah. someone's going to die. Like, mm-hmm. that's just always how it is in, in Joss Whedon work. Um, so we're kind of used to it. But at this point... Like, this was Joss Whedon's first show. People didn't know what they were dealing yeah. with. This on, you know, on and the WB, you know, in 1998, truly, truly shocking. Well, and, you know, as you said that about, you know, we don't, you know, we know to expect yeah. this at this point. I am trying to imagine watching this, like, with the original run of yeah. the show and how... Okay, first of all, that sequence of Giles moving through his apartment and anticipating this romantic evening with his girlfriend, who he loves, who loves him too. And then the way that the entire time he's having this experience of anticipation, we are having, we, the audience, are having this this dread Mm -hmm. um, because we know this is not going to end how he thinks it's going to end. But what's so wonderful about that from a television standpoint and from a storytelling standpoint, you know, for for my money, is we Mm -hmm. get to experience Jenny Callender's death twice because we see her just fall to the floor and, you know, and she's and then she's gone. Mm -hmm. She just drops out of frame and then we see Angelus and, you know, he says something like, I never I, I get tired doing of doing that. Right? that. I love yeah. doing that. Or I never get tired of doing that. Yeah. He's, you know, mm-hmm. he, he's just like, he's so happy to be his evil yeah. self. That's kind of anticlimactic on purpose. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. that she just, you know, she's running, she's in terror and then she's just gone. Yeah. Well, then we get to stretch that loss of this character yeah. out even further because we get to experience we get to experience both sides of it. We get to experience yeah. both her terror leading up to her death and then Giles's shock. Yeah. And it is, can, oh God, I can't even imagine like yeah. <laughs> watching this in real time, you yeah. know, especially when you had to wait a full week between <laughs> episodes of uh, things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know. Um, like that and in that moment, how shocking that must have been yeah. for people viewing it who didn't know what to expect from Joss Whedon. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah, it is. And it's it's so beautifully done. It's so beautifully escalated. We get this moment of hope between Giles and Jenny. And then everything, you know, disappears. And yeah. it's it's absolutely wonderful. 
Like from a narrative point of view. Yes. It's yeah. beautifully done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and it's that like wonderful brutal that we yes. some, we have talked about. I don't know that we've talked about it on Still Pretty before, but I know that it comes up on yeah. other Chipperish podcasts that mm-hmm. there's this like, it's not delightful, but there's something really like wonderful about experiencing that kind of darkness through fiction. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Because it does help you kind of process the the terrible things that happen. Because like when when something terrible happens in real life, a lot of times we just have to get through the day. Mm-hmm. You know, we just we have to shove it aside. We have to put it in a box. We have to put it in a crate. We have to set it somewhere and not go back to it, you know, because it's just too much. It's too much to handle, you know. Yeah. So when a work of fiction is able to replicate that experience, you know, that loss, that grief, that shock, you know, mm-hmm. um, in this in this really, you know, intense and emotionally, you know, it's it's set up in a way that has that emotional impact um, that actually is almost a therapeutic event for us mm-hmm. to and uh, like pretty much everybody has had that experience to some degree by the time they're old enough to watch Buffy their yeah. heart has been broken at least once right <laughs> you know by one thing or another sure um and and you felt to a certain extent some of that devastation and so when you go back and and visit these stories um that have darkness in them you know, that have that sense of loss. And especially when that loss is played out in an emotional context rather than just a gory, like, you know, I'm thinking of Game of Thrones, which I've recently just watched all the way through and I can't wait for season eight, yay. Um, (laughs) But but Game of Thrones, like we have a lot of these kinds of deaths, but they happen so often and they're so brutal and they're so gory and it's, Mm -hmm. you know, usually swords going through people's eyeballs and shit. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. just like, it's it's insane. And it's going for that kind of visceral experience you know, as opposed to this like deeply emotional experience. And so here we have that shocking moment. You know, he mm-hmm. grabs her head, he twists it, we hear the crack, she falls to the ground. But that's all we see of it as far as like the shocking death of it, you mm-hmm. know. But then we go through the emotional experience with Giles, you know, watching him, knowing with every step that he takes how awful this is going to be. And he takes one step up and, and we don't rush through that, you know, like yeah. we have all of this. We like we, you know, wring every bit of emotional turmoil out of Giles walking up those steps with his anticipation of a wonderful night with Jenny. And this thing that he's been wanting for so long, yeah. you know, and finally he can have it. And then to have that shocking and awful moment. And it's not gory. No. You know, I mean, Jenny looks normal aside from the weird angle of her head, which yeah. isn't all that weird. I mean, it's weird enough yeah. that we know her stare, her dead eyes staring. We know that she's dead, you know. But, um, but I mean to build that emotional experience up and to let us feel that emotional, you know, somewhat catharsis. And then, you know, Giles heartbreak and grief and rage as he goes after Angelus, all of this comes together to kind of help heal in that emotional experience, which Mm -hmm. is one of the things that fiction is so good at. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, I feel the need to mention that before Giles has his, before he's moved to action, before we see him clearing out his trunk of weapons, we we see the police doing their thing and he says i have to make a fo- uh, can i make a phone call yeah and then we get that that sequence of angelus watching through yeah. buffy's window as she and willow hear what's happened and i i love that we i mean we're still extending 
the yeah. the horror and the grief of Jenny's death. I mean, we've spent a good chunk of the episode now mm-hmm. on this death, and we get two we get two main reactions to this mm-hmm. kind of shock and horror from Buffy and Willow. So Buffy listens and then just shuts down and we see her like slide down the wall as it mm-hmm. you know yeah. she just like she can't even stand up anymore she's just mm-hmm. so you know awash with grief and then we get willow and oh, oh my god. god Allison Hannigan when Allison Hannigan cries I cry like that no, it doesn't you can't you oh, cannot the, it's like when somebody the, yawns you yawn if yes. Allison Hannigan cries you're going to break down oh yeah. my god and that is such a real reaction both of them Mm -hmm. in their own way those reactions like i know those reactions i have seen people have those reactions to horrible news or you know just oh it's so it's it's so wonderful the way that that Mm -hmm. is handled and then we get to see and then we move into giles revenge plot yeah um but before we do we get to see angela smiling at their yeah. grief and it's just oh it's like it's it's visual storytelling delight even in the, yeah. <laughs> even in the just the awfulness of the moment mm-hmm. um but damn <laughs> right <laughs> damn so good <laughs> so so good yeah. and then of course you know giles with swinging flaming <laughs> things right and mm-hmm. and, and you know, we do. We get a great little moment of comedy in that scene where Spike says to Drusilla, "You know, no, stay out of the ring unless he tags you in or whatever." It's right. like Drusilla's going to jump in there. Drusilla's oh, yeah. ready. Yeah, um, but it's yeah, it's it's really really well done. I am interested though mm-hmm. that Jenny's uh, uh, headstone says yeah. Jennifer Calendar. Shouldn't it say right. Yana Calderosh? Um, I, 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 I don't know. Like, I guess <laughs> I mean, her family, her uncle was the maybe the last one of her family, and maybe. and so they knew her as Jenny Calendar, and they are the family that she has left. I guess yes. that's yeah. her. That's her Ellis Island name. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. yeah, I mean, because the shopkeeper, the the magical shopkeeper, knows mm-hmm. who she is. He yeah. says, mm-hmm. he says, you're Yana, and she says, yes. yes. So. So she is known, but mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's, I mean, I think what it is, is for the audience, you know, no, we're yeah. really, we're, she's, because she's that's really the identity dead. that we know her. Yeah. 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 But I wonder if there's something about, I don't know. I want to say something super meaningful about like in death, she is the better version of herself that not the. Yeah. You know, not to erase her history, but to erase the vengeance piece. Mm-hmm. You know, she's she moved from serving vengeance, you know, as her yeah. uncle mm-hmm. puts it, to serving something else. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. There's maybe maybe something there. Yeah. Something yeah. to be read into the fact that they just wanted to make it really clear to the audience who this was. Who right. was this. I, I mean, I think honestly, like that choice was just about the fact that we knew her as Jenny Calendar, that she was Jenny Calendar to Giles and to Buffy. Yeah. So while they yeah. are experiencing it, like, like, I honestly don't 
know that that was I, 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 my guess is I have no idea because I obviously wasn't there. Um, but I mean, <laughs> I, I, I kind of I kind of feel like um, like that wasn't something they really thought about. They were just like, well, they're at her tombstone and her tombstone would say Jenny Calendar because that's how yeah. we know her. And we hadn't really thought about the fact that she does have a whole other identity. Yeah. But my guess is, is that that's her like Ellis Island name that she came over, you know, um, she's, <laughs> you know. And, you know, who knows how many generations ago she came over. Like, I don't know. I, don't, I have no idea. I don't know Bottom either. Bottom line I just, is, I think, that, I think that we just chose that because that's, you know, that's who she was to us. Yeah. I just mm-hmm. think that there's something interesting there about identity. And yeah. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, but, of course, I also felt throughout her arc that she really mm-hmm. only had that that other identity when it was kind of when it was convenient that I don't think she came I I don't get the sense that she came to the show as a character with this whole like she's a spy for the Romani family who yeah no season one I don't think I don't think anybody knew that about her I think that they pulled that into season two I think was brilliantly done if you go back and look through season one there's nothing that negates that idea yeah. You know, um, she already knows, you know, that it's a hell mouth. She already knows, <laughs> you know, right. like all of this. Yeah. So she she comes in with a certain amount of understanding, you know, um, and uh, and so I think that it's OK. Like, I think that it definitely works. I think that the, the choice that they made in this season and in planning out this season, um, the choices that they made have been pretty much brilliant, you know, all the way through. I think there have been a lot of really good um, narrative choices that they made. And now we're building up to this, you know, escalation. You know, when we have Angel's turn in the middle of the season, you mm-hmm. know, and then everything is is different. We think that the bad, the big bad for the season is Spike and Drusilla. Uh, but in reality, they're just keeping the seat warm for Angelus, who comes <laughs> in and takes over. You know, so to speak, yeah. since, you know, uh, vampires don't have any body heat. But you know what I'm saying? Um, so so I think that all of that, I think the the way that all of this has been planned is brilliant. So even though in the beginning, I don't think they necessarily knew who Jenny was when in the first season when they were writing her. Um, what they did with her was absolutely perfect. I love it. <sighs> I'm going to miss Jenny. She's our somewhat somewhat okay uh representation of adult womanhood yes yeah but yeah, we're we, stuck we but we, we're, a while. we're stuck with joyce oh joyce oh joyce so so should we talk about joyce let's go ahead and talk we about need joyce. to talk about joyce we need to talk about the joyce that we, <laughs> we get need to have the joyce I mean, talk we need to have the joyce talk okay all right i'll sit you down yes. <laughs> like we need to talk about joyce all right so i just all right I have I have many feelings. I have a lot of feelings. I have a lot <laughs> okay. of feelings about Joyce. Okay. Um, she totally. I mean, Buffy tells her about Angel, sort yes. of. You know, we were mm-hmm. that guy. He's, you know, we were dating, yeah. and she totally dismisses Buffy with the "Oh, let me guess, he's changed," or "Let me, you know, right. he's not the guy." Mm-hmm. And I'm like. Oh my god, that's just the most dismissive like Yeah. I, I don't know like she's who... basically like so so let me guess, you know, you're yeah, a yeah, cliche. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. Mhm. Rather than express any empathy at all. And then she wonders why Buffy shuts her out. Yeah. I mean, God, yeah. if you brought your heartbreak to somebody and they were like, oh, let me guess, he's a total yeah. monster. You know, like I'm not going to tell you anything. 
Right. Not a chance. Not right. a chance. But I do love, I love her immediately telling Angel to back off. Mm-hmm. She yes. knows who he is right away. And it doesn't matter that he's doing his like charming, you know, love struck boyfriend, which quickly turns into mm-hmm. stalker boyfriend. Um, yeah. But there's this wonderful moment in that scene where she's coming home with groceries. Mm -hmm. He's being super creepy. Like, he is up to the creep factor. And she realizes, like, we see her realize that this guy is not okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And as she's hurrying up to the house, she drops the bag of groceries and he kind of rushes in to sort of help. As he's Mm -hmm. trying, he's just talking at her. And there's a moment where one of the oranges rolls away. Uh huh. Yeah. And I love that we see it register with Joyce for half a second. And then she decides, screw it. I need to get inside. Yeah, right. <laughs> and I'm guessing this wasn't planned. I'm guessing, right. you know, this is a natural side effect of working with props that roll. Um, mm-hmm. But I love that they used this take of that moment mm-hmm. because I get so deeply and so wonderfully from Christine Sutherland in this scene that constant attention to safety that so mm-hmm. many of us have when we're out in the world, especially when we're out in the world right. and dealing with a strange man who we as that as that scene progresses, mm-hmm. he is shot from lower and lower down. So he looks yeah. bigger and bigger. And it's like I can feel her sort of doing the math, you know, OK. He's yeah, the safety this much, calculus. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is, this is it much worth bigger than I am? Cost me. Yeah. yeah. Is yeah. it worth it? Yeah. <laughs> like, Is mm-hmm. it worth it to try to run you know what do I do in this situation and I just I love that we see her go from your angel like she's so ready to tell this college boy to get off her lawn this cliche exactly right and then realizing that he's not a cliche that he's much much more dangerous Mm -hmm. you know than she thought he was Mm -hmm. you know and she is I mean you know Joyce in her defense is completely unprepared for this situation she does not know She doesn't consciously know. A lot of people die in this town with, you know, punctures to the neck. So I imagine that on some (laughs) level, everybody, you know, knows or whatever. As Oz Um, says, that explains a lot. It explains (laughs) a lot. Yeah, actually. Um, So, I mean, she's in this space where she doesn't know what she's up against. And Buffy hasn't told her. And I mean, I don't blame Buffy for not telling her. Mm -hmm. Um, That's a very complicated thing. And Joyce does not make that easy. You know, yeah. for Buffy to come to her. And then we get, you know, right after, of course, this whole thing, we get a wonderful moment where, you know, Willow is reading the incantation. <laughs> They're coming down the thing. Buffy says, change the locks. Angel can't get in the house anymore. Loved that. That is fantastic, you know. Um, but then we get the scene with Joyce and Buffy where they have this talk. And Joyce throws out this passive aggressive. Oh. You can shut me out. I'm pretty much used to that, you know. Yeah. Like, in what way, Joyce, have you possibly opened up any space for Buffy to tell you anything? Because everything that Joyce says to Buffy is highly, highly judgmental. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing is, even with all of that, though, like Joyce is written as a conflict vending machine. And we've talked about that before, you know. So she's not really developed as a character. But Christine Sutherland, given all of these wildly different spaces to go with Joyce, where one week Joyce is one character and mm-hmm. another week Joyce is another character. And she somehow manages to kind of pull them all together. Um but even when Joyce is being terrible, like in this scene, you know, I can't believe you did this. I can't believe yeah. you, you know, you you had sex with a boy you didn't even see fit to tell me you were dating, that whole thing. And I'm like, 
do you it hasn't been that like she looks pretty young i understand she looks even younger than she is but Mm -hmm. it wasn't that long ago that she understood how sex happens like yeah i don't know how many people actually plan their first time that they have sex i think not a lot although if you do good on you like that's that's kind of awesome you can't you can't plan it like you know especially because at the end joyce is like well i guess this is the talk i don't know it's my first and i'm like okay you cannot look at your 17 year old daughter and say what did you think you were doing like she is supposed to initiate the talk with you like that's not how it works you talk to them you prepare them for this you explain to them that these things kind of come up on a surprise like i can tell you that the day that i lost my virginia did not wake up that morning thinking that was going to happen that day (laughs) but by the evening shit had gone down in more way than one so my um I'm just saying. So, so, but the the idea that Joyce is acting as though she has no knowledge of how these things work and has no understanding of her own responsibility and not having talked to Buffy about this sooner. This isn't a talk. If it's a, if you have not proactively had this talk with your children, then you are going to retroactively have that talk with your children. And it is not their fault. You know, these things just happen. They often take us by surprise and children who are not spoken to and not prepared for that eventuality, you know, will not know how to handle it when it comes up, so to speak. So, um, so I, you know, I find this whole talk with Joyce and her passive aggression and her disappointment and her judgment to be so wholly out of line Yeah. Um, that I can't take it seriously. And I just feel terrible for Buffy, who once again, you know, I just don't want to be disappointed in you again, yeah. which we had from Joyce earlier in the season, who once again, Buffy is feeling as though she is a disappointment, as though she has done something wrong here. And the fact of the matter is that she is not. Yeah. This is a conversation that Joyce needed to have with her a couple of years ago. Yeah. And I mean, I don't even understand. I don't really understand what Joyce is trying to drive home that like you should have like, is it? Because I get about nine different messages from Joyce in this yeah, scene. Like, right. you shouldn't have had sex. You shouldn't have right. not. Like, you should have told me that you were going to have. Like, you should have told me right. you were dating this guy. You should have done this. You should have. And I'm like, wait, what? Like, what? Yeah. Like, is no, there not some. Not to mention, Buffy was making out with Angel through her window. And Buffy goes out through her window every night. Joyce, perhaps you should have paid a little more attention And I mean, had Joyce gone into this and said, you know, I'm sorry, Buffy, I should have been paying attention. I was so wrapped up in my own stuff, you know, and Joyce has been going through. I mean, she's a single mother. Mm -hmm. She's recently divorced. You know, she's dealing with all this stuff. This is she lives in a crazy town where people are dying all the time. Um, You know, her boyfriend came back from the dead and then disappeared and and had evil robot. Literal skeletons in his closet. mm. Right. (laughs) Like there's, there's been some stuff. Joyce has been traumatized. Like I would be completely on Joyce's side if she said, I am so sorry. Like I should have had this conversation with you. We, I should have been paying more attention to what was going on in your life. The fact that you were dating this guy, you were in love with this guy. I didn't even know. Yeah. You know, like I, I wasn't paying attention, you know? And I mean that for Joyce to have had that conversation with Buffy at this time and then say, yeah, this was my first. I'm so like, you know, yeah. I would have loved 
that moment for Joyce and Buffy. And it would have been so much more real. I would have had, I have sympathy for Joyce, not having had the conversation. Yeah. I have sympathy for Joyce. I, all of the things that Joyce did, I have sympathy for. I have empathy for. I am a single mother of teenage girls. Like, I don't think either one of them is a vampire slayer. You know? <laughs> I don't think so. Um, I but, can't like, tell but, you if they were, though. I mean, <laughs> I think they might. I think they might. I've tried to open up a space where they can tell me anything. Um, but like, the fact is that Joyce is just being treated as a conflict vending machine, and we are not dealing with her as a real person. And I understand because we're telling the story from the point of view of children, and, and children may not see that. Like, even if mm-hmm. Joyce had had this conversation where she says I'm so sorry I didn't pay attention I didn't have this talk with you before you know that Buffy still might read it as judgment and shame for her you know and all that kind of stuff so if we're deep enough in Buffy's POV you can probably you know maybe make some of that argument I don't think you you really can but you know but there's there's an argument to be made there that if when you're really deep in somebody's POV and that what people say in a conversation and what is heard from the other end are often completely different things that is a reality you know whatever Um, there's there's uh, there's places to have that argument I think generally, no, we're just treating her as a as a conflict vending machine. We're just going to make Joyce angry and judgmental no matter what so that Buffy is always feeling terrible. Yeah. Um, but I think that we could have had this could have been a little bit more nuanced and a little bit more interesting. Yes. And you could have still had that conflict. Of, you know, like Joyce feeling like she's failing Buffy Mm -hmm. and she doesn't know how to do this and they still can't talk to each other at the end, Mm -hmm. you know, which would still be heartbreaking and sad, especially where, where we can look at both of them and say they're both trying, but they just can't can't meet in the, in the yeah. place in the middle because Buffy is has to lie to her mother. Yeah. You know, and if at the end Joyce was like, I just want you to be able to tell me things, you know, and then Buffy still doesn't tell her. Yes. Like that would have been a really interesting choice to watch. That would have been heartbreaking. We could have felt for, you know, I mean, when you can feel and understand and empathize with both sides of a conflict like that, that's a really great conflict. And they, they had that right there yeah. and they didn't go for it. They went for the flatter conflict. Yeah, that would have been so wonderful if it had been, you know, like something about Joyce wanting to, you know, acknowledging that she had not made the time yeah. or space for Buffy to tell her things and, mm-hmm. you know, had not been accepting or empathetic. And that whole, you know, because Buffy's, Buffy's struggle with her mother, yeah. you know, aside from the, you know, Joyce is the conflict of the week kind of thing. Right. Is mm-hmm. that if she tells her mother anything, she has to tell her everything because there's no yeah. way there's, there's there's no middle ground. Yeah, there's no there's yeah. no sort of half truth that Buffy can tell. She tries in this episode, mm-hmm. but she can't. Yeah. She kind of can't really get there because it's not there's no way to tell Joyce just how serious the situation is without telling her all of these things that she's not ready to tell her Mm -hmm. yet. And I feel like we could have hit that a lot harder rather than the, I can't believe you had sex. I I don't know. How can you not believe she's had sex? Well, and she's 17. And also this is when kids have sex. Well, well, (laughs) I mean a lot, not all, not all, some, a lot. Um, but there's definitely the like we could have done what they did with Joyce where she says, you know, she's asking questions and then she says, I don't want to know if we could mm-hmm. do both of those with we could do that with Buffy's whole 
identity that her mother wants to know but doesn't want to know and Buffy of course knows that and uh, it's and then to say no don't tell me yeah you know because because you're telling her at the same time that you're saying I can't believe you didn't tell me you're saying I don't want to know yeah like how is a kid supposed to respond to that yeah yeah I'm sorry Joyce that is your emotional mental emotional gymnastics that you need to do you need to work on your flexibility because yeah yeah I mean it's one thing to say you know, it's one thing to be honest and be like, okay, I may have trouble dealing with this. If you want to tell me, though, you need to be able to tell me, mm-hmm. you know, like, I, I want to make a space for you to do it. It is okay to be able to say, I'm struggling with this. I don't know how to handle it. Parenting is overwhelming. And it's mm-hmm. going to be like, there are so many things, not just the sex talk, but so many conversations that you have to have with your kids that you're completely unequipped to do to have Mm -hmm. you know like that happens it happens to parents parents are good at different (laughs) things like you're going to have a certain skill set in certain areas where you're going to be really good and then there are going to be other areas where you're going to be lacking Mm -hmm. because you're human and because that's how it goes you Mm -hmm. know so I mean like just being able to say hey this is where I fell short this is where I'm not good you know, mm-hmm. at being a parent, this is where I'm, I'm like not able to give you what you need, but I'm going to try and I'm going to be here, you know, yeah. and let's just stumble through this as best we can. Because honestly, just like that, the child knows that, you know, that you can't do everything perfectly, that you can't meet every need for them, you know, mm-hmm. is fine, but that you, but that you're open and you're willing to talk to them about it, mm-hmm. you know, but to say, how could you do this? Don't tell me. Yeah. You know, like, I can't believe you didn't tell me, but don't tell me. Yeah. Um, I thought Those you'd things, use you know, better you had sex judgment. Boy, you didn't see fit to tell me you were dating. Yeah. Don't tell me anything, right? Yeah. So, I mean, Joyce is putting <laughs> Buffy in this completely impossible situation. How is Buffy supposed to navigate that? Yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, on the other hand, you know, we have Buffy's other parent, who's not really yes. a parent, but we've got oh. Giles. Giles you know? is the other parent. Yeah, Giles is the other parent when um <laughs> he comes to the house and, you know, Willow says, oh, it was great until Angel showed up and told Buffy's mom that they'd, you know. <laughs> you well, know, right? And he's you like, know. Yeah. And then she says, you do know, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, I love Willow. Willow's a moment of. Willow is a joy. Oh, God, everything, everything Willow. Everything, Everything Willow. Willow. I love yeah. Willow in this episode. We don't get. She's amazing. I mean, oh my god, I love when she finds the fish, and then the next scene, she's over at Buffy's, like with the garlic and the crosses, and everything. yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Cut to cut directly from. I know the, that great <laughs> shot through the aquarium yeah. to. Oh my god, Willow and Buffy sitting on Buffy's bed. Thanks for having me over on a school night. night. (laughs) Oh my God. So cute. So cute. She's got a steak in her lap and oh baby. I just, I I love Willow so much. (laughs) (laughs) I love Willow. Oh, and her, her annoyance when Jenny shows up. Yeah. I just, oh, she's here. <laughs> Five hours of lesson planning down the drain. <laughs> <I know. laughs> it's so incredibly sweet. I love how excited she is to teach oh, for God. Jenny and then doesn't happen. And she's like, damn it. You know? Yeah. And then at the end, when she yeah. has to come in and step in for, for Jenny and she says, I'll just go ahead with what her lesson plan was. Yeah. You know? Um, until yeah. they get the new computer science teacher. And of course, the idea that there would be a high school student who would be teaching 
the class. I think mm-hmm. maybe a little bit. Whatever. Well, I, I don't know that that really. Principal happens, Snyder but... is not the most. Yeah, <laughs> I guess <laughs> like... I, uh, the man's running a school on a hellmouth. Like, is he going to be a stickler for like laws and whatever? I have no idea. Rules but, and regulations. <laughs> Who cares? Funny. I mean, not saying that Willow isn't qualified. I think she'd be qualified. I'm just not sure you can have a high school student teach other high school yeah. students and actually have it meet, you know, state standards <laughs> for graduation requirements and whatever. But you know, whatever. Yeah, but, um, but... that's that's. Yeah, Willow takes her role very seriously, which is wonderful. (laughs) What if they don't respect my authority? (laughs) I know. Oh, oh my God, she's so wonderful, she... and it's so heartbreaking, you know. And then, of course, at that last moment, when you see the little floppy disk fall yep. into that space between the desk and the filing cabinet, which is the oblivion of mm-hmm. everything, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, God, now it's so <sighs> so incredible. Oh, good. little floppy disk and dot matrix printer paper and dot I... matrix printers. I squealed when the paper comes out of the printer and it's got the little the little perforations yes. on the side and just I was like I okay no remember those and at yes. the time you were like oh my god this is amazing yes right you oh know? yeah yeah uh-huh it is crazy it is crazy don't get me started on technology because no. nobody cares and I'll go on for an hour yeah. um so let's talk a little bit about some of the things that kind of get skipped in this episode uh because it, it is so powerful there's so much going on uh Xander and Cordelia all right. Yeah. Um, I actually, I really, I love Cordelia. I love her whole, and I let him into my car. car. Yes. <laughs> she's like, and I had my grandmother drive my car. Oh, yeah. She's just, to... you can, you and your mother can ride around in my car with me. Yes. <laughs> Everything Cordelia, we don't get much of Cordelia in this episode, but what we get is this just adorable, self-centered, solipsistic universe that I absolutely love. Um, she is adorable. <laughs> She's so great uh, when she says, yeah. oh, why doesn't he just uh, strangle her in the night or slit her throat or yeah, whatever? And yeah. everyone is silent. And she's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> well, we're all wondering it. We have to talk about that. Why doesn't he? You know, um, you know, Cordelia tact is just not saying true stuff. I'll pass. Yeah. Right. You know, yep. um, she's I love her. Yep. And just, so you know, if we're all done, we're all done with your car, Cordelia. You can go. And she's right. like, <laughs> okay, okay, <laughs> just go. So cute. Oh I actually, I like a lot of what we get in Xander, you know, again, Xander in this episode too, you know, where he's like, we should kill him. You know, and he goes, mm-hmm. I was on the side of killing Angel from the beginning. <laughs> and he goes through that whole yeah. thing. But he delivers that speech really well and he's like i say faster pussycat kill kill right yeah. you know um and I, so it's nice because we're building up this wedge you know with xander who never liked angel but of course because he was jealous because of buffy you know it comes from a possessive space rather mm-hmm. than a he's a vampire space although that's what he tries to blame it on you know um so that's not great xander but i do like that he that we have a voice within the main protagonist group saying uh we kill angel Angel should die. Angel and jealous. I don't care. He's still a vampire, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And I I think that that is a reactionary, you know, perspective lacking nuance and also stemming from Xander's incredible possessiveness about Buffy, which is all not great. But I do like having that voice within the main group, you know, that somebody is like, he's too dangerous. He needs to die, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I love that the... The Xander that we get in that 
scene in Giles's mm-hmm. apartment where yeah. he's you know, he he's looking around and notices everything that is there and says yeah. something like Giles had a big night planned and Buffy says, No, Angel set this up and and Nicholas yeah. Brendan in that moment when he says, Oh no, poor Giles. Like he just yeah. doesn't have words. He's able yeah. to he's able to make a joke later on about his <laughs> the weapons. Oh no, I yes. thought he Cordelia says I thought he kept his weapons in the library and Sanders mm-hmm. says, No, those are his everyday weapons right <laughs> you know it but even that lo- that joke about you know these being the good weapons that he brings out yeah. for company yeah. um is delivered with this deep sadness yeah no i mean it's it's really it's good because that of course is how xander deals with everything yeah is through sarcastic humor mm-hmm. so when he's in the most pain is when he's likely to be the funniest yeah you know yeah um but yeah but the incredible empathy that he gets across in that one you know that one line oh poor, poor Giles. Giles like and he says it in this way that isn't overly expressive it's almost a flat reading mm-hmm. you know but because he reads it in in that way that it has that sort of flatness to it. You can feel the power of that emotion underneath, which is a really tough thing to sell. Yeah. But he sells it. Absolutely. I mean, he is great in this episode. And of course, I love the, the only, one of the only funny moments because, you know, for Buffy, which usually tends to move, you know, toward the joke, go for the joke almost always. Right. Mm-hmm. Very few jokes in this episode um but one of them is that great moment where um where he's like yeah okay so how come buffy doesn't get the once again you you know (laughs) simple simplify the situation down to its most like you know uh simple aspects or whatever and he goes watcher's pet (laughs) and i i love that i love that moment from him the way he throws that at buffy it's so incredibly cute we also get the fantastic moment of xander when Jonathan and friend come into the library yes. looking for books and Xander is livid. Not right. what did you ever hear with knocking? You? <laughs> and Giles has to say, This is the school library, Xander. And yes. Xander, Xander, in possibly my favorite Xander line ever, says, Since when? Since when? <laughs> I know. I oh my just, god, it's and I'm like yeah, you kind of got a point there, Xander. Yeah, like, yeah. No, it is. Yeah. It's it's funny. It's funny because that's kind of you know the the writers sort of taking a shot at themselves yeah. because of the way that they treat the library. But it is really adorable. And then of course everybody leaves, and Jonathan comes out later. and He's like, um, hello, somebody <laughs> check out my book for me. <laughs> it is really very cute. It's a nice little moment. So there's not that much humor in this episode, but what there is, I think, is truly genuinely funny. Mm-hmm. Really, really good stuff. Yeah. Um. All right. So, what are you wearing this week, Noel? Well, because we get this really heavy poetry with Angelus at the beginning, talking yeah. about passion. You know, which of course mm-hmm. comes from the Latin word for suffering. I was uh-huh. looking for some like deep significance in what everybody's wearing because it is a very Mm -hmm. visually strong episode yeah and there are some great outfits in this episode but nothing that i feel is super meaningful i mean right the Mm -hmm. characters are definitely becoming themselves wardrobe wise by which i just mean that whenever i see a character wearing something i'm like oh Mm -hmm. that makes total sense that person Mm -hmm. would absolutely wear this i mean Willow's little smiley face backpack. Yeah. Um, 
Jenny Callender's sheer floral bell sleeve top thing over a tank mm-hmm. dress. I think that's what's yeah. going on there. But she just looks, yeah. she looks perfect. Um, yeah. And I mean, Willow's fuzzy pajamas next to Buffy's silky pajamas is so yeah. perfect. Cordelia's button mm-hmm. front shirts. Xander wears possibly the best thing that Xander has ever worn. <laughs> that orange sweater with the green yeah. sleeves. I, If someone knows where I can get one of those, please let me know. Um, nice. yeah. <laughs> but I don't really, I don't really see a lot of meaning coming through the clothing and I don't know if that's something that the show pulls out from time to time like with Buffy's you know white prom dress or if Mm -hmm. that's something that I'm remembering from later seasons where we have much more of a sort of a visual storytelling going on with the clothing I think so. I mean, I don't think that there's a lot of significance. I think that you're right. These are absolutely outfits that they would wear. I do like, you know, we have Willow's fuzzy pajamas and Buffy's silky pajamas. You know, Buffy being the kid who who has to grow up a little bit too fast and Willow representing, you know, still being able to hold on to innocence and childhood, Mm -hmm. you know, that there's that sense of of who she is, you know. Um, So I like that. But I think you're right. I'm not sure that there's a much deeper significance in these things. Mm -hmm. Um, But the outfits are always fun. Not yet. I think that Mm -hmm. as we move. We're going to get there. Oh, when we move into season faith. I mean, season three. (laughs) Right. Hat tip to buffering the vampires. (laughs) Yes. Yes. That's uh, Mm going to be a lot of fun. Absolutely. All right. So what do you got for Arg the Patriarch? Okay. So we get some good Xander, but we also get some truly, Mm -hmm. truly awful Xander. He says, he's, Buffy is talking about Angel being in her room at night, and he says, a valuable lesson for you gals about inviting strange men into your bedrooms. Oh, my God. To which I say, fuck off, Xander. (laughs) It is not a victim's fault ever, 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 ever. Exactly. And not to mention the fact that that Xander's bullshit possessiveness with both Buffy and Willow, the fact that he doesn't want Willow, but he doesn't want Willow to be with anybody else, either God forbid she should be, you know, happy or anything (laughs) other than pining away over him. That's what she's supposed to be doing. And when she's not, he gets pissy. Mm -hmm. Um, This this possessive that this possessive attitude that he has toward Buffy, you know, that these are his girls, you know, Mm -hmm. they're his women. And um, and if he can't have them, you know, okay, fine. He'll let them make that choice, but they can't have anybody else, you know. Um, So all of it, yeah, is is really gross. It's gross from a general patriarchal view, which is it is the woman's fault if she gets attacked. Yeah. You know, Um, and it's gross from the very specific Xanderian view. Yes. Of Xander's an idiot. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So, yeah. But on both levels, that is wildly, wildly offensive. Do you have a girl power moment of the week? Um, You know, I mean, a little bit. Um, I kind of like at the end, you know, when Buffy goes after Giles and pulls him out. And I don't like that she hits him. <laughs> I kind of hate that she yeah, hits him. Yeah, I was going to ask you about um, that. After everything that he goes through. But when she drops down, like when she goes and she rescues him and she drops down at his side and she cries and hugs him and says, I can't lose you. I can't lose you. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like I like that in the moment. Um, even though his grief then becomes about her, 
Yeah. And his grief and his, you know, his reaction and all of that, like she smacks him in the face for it, mm-hmm. um, which I don't care for. But I do like that she is able to be open and straightforward and express her love and her need for Giles mm-hmm. in a way that she's unable to do, you know, with her mom. Yeah. Um, and so I think that that is that is a very emotionally powerful moment. I, I, it's, it's one of the things that I really I hate when she hits him. I hate yeah. when she hits him. Um, but aside from that, I love it. <laughs> Oh, I was going to say, I hate that she hits him, but I kind of love that she hits him. That yeah. just, yeah, I mean, so because because here we are, you know, talking about passion and what mm-hmm. that makes people do. That passion is, the way Angel describes it, it's almost animalistic. It's uncontrolled mm-hmm. emotion. And that she's so angry that she's she's feeling all of these emotions at once you know all of this Mm -hmm. anger and hurt and she has missed the opportunity to kill Angelus because Angelus has said you're just gonna let your old man burn yeah and then this is fascinating he launches her kind of over the railing like it Uh I think and again I think this is one of those like this happened on set because this is how you do the stunt but it looks right. like he sort of lifts her to get her mm-hmm. the momentum that she needs to go over that railing and I don't know Yeah, I, he doesn't want her dead. Yeah. He doesn't want this to be done. Was He's not done messing with her. That is yeah. fascinating. But yeah, it's it is like it's unfortunate that she hits him but I also kind of dig it <laughs> she's yeah just, no i it, it, it's yeah. it's a very powerful moment i just hate that after everything that giles has been through yeah that then she would know, also hit him in the face hit, hit yeah. him yeah because i'm yeah. just like i'm so heartbroken for giles in that moment but of course that moves me into like my favorite part of the week which this week is <laughs> buffy and giles after yes. she saves him it's that whole thing even though i hate that she hits him i love their relationship i love that she is able to be close and honest with him in a way that she is not able to with her mother Mm -hmm. so she has a parent um and how much she loves him and then when she hits him it like you see how much it breaks her heart yeah you know to see him hurting um and she is is wildly flailing between empathy for him and her own heartbreak and terror at the idea that she could lose him Mm -hmm. you know um, all of it is so overwhelming. It is this swirl of emotion. So it does, I, it works. Yeah. It works. It's it's an incredibly powerful moment. I think that it works. I just hate after everything that Giles has been through. <laughs> yeah. Like having having Buffy hit him in the face. Yeah. Like Buffy, who is the his closest friend. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, his his daughter, like really for, for his, you know, she is his person. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And they have this relationship and she means so much to him that even though he loved Jenny, you know, he he still wouldn't be with her until she made it right with Buffy. Yeah. You know, um, all of it, even even that betrayal was about Buffy. Mm-hmm. You know, like if it was just him, he would have forgiven her. Yeah. But because she hurt Buffy, you know. So that relationship with Buffy is the central relationship of his life. It is pivotal to him. It means the most to him. And then to have her hit him and yell at him like that. Like, God, how hard that yeah. whole thing is. It's so heartbreaking, but I love it. And it is absolutely my favorite part of this episode. Noelle, what is your favorite part? <laughs> 
Well, my actual favorite part, like from a visual storytelling perspective, is mm-hmm. um, Buffy and Willow's grief as seen yes. by Angelus through the window. But I can't, mm-hmm. like, in good conscience, say that's my favorite part of the episode. <laughs> that's okay. Because I just... You don't have to choose the intellectually I know, best part I know. or whatever. But you also, but it's because it's, so, it's so gut-wrenching. Yeah. Like, I don't... Like, calling mm-hmm. it my favorite part does not seem fair to my emotional yeah. landscape. So keeping that in mind, my favorite part is Drusilla trying to feed Spike a puppy. Mm-hmm. Airplane noises yes. included. <laughs> Open wide. <laughs> like, it is pretty adorable. I mean, it is pretty adorable. I mean, there's a whole there's a whole world implied in vampire nutrition yes. and <laughs> what do you yes. the, the care and feeding of your injured vampire. The care and feeding like, of your injured vampire. Oh, what to expect when your vampire is yeah know, in, in a, a wheelchair? wheelchair yeah. Healing, oh man. Right? Yeah. Oh man. Oh man. Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Drusilla. Drusilla. <laughs> All right, that's it for today. Join in the discussion on Twitter. Follow me at Lonnie Diane Rich and Noel at Noel Aloud and use the hashtag stillpretty. You can also visit the Chipperish forums. Go to chipperish.com, click on forum, and join in the fun. Or you can keep Chipperish Media going to the tune of a dollar a month or more and gain access to the live chat in Discord, where you can hang out with me and Lonnie and all the Chipperish patrons in a pajama party sleepover with weapons thing. (laughs) You'll also get access to exclusive patron content like our new podcast, Still Chipper, where the Chipperish hosts go off topic and talk about things and ideas that we find delightful. Visit patreon.com slash chipperish to find out more. You can also show your support by giving Still Pretty a great review on Apple Podcasts or by telling your friends about the show on social media or by giving your friend his soul back so he can write a great review about us. (laughs) Chipperish Media is on holiday break until the new year, but we will be back with Killed by Death, the 18th episode of season two. Until then, how come Buffy doesn't get a snotty, once again you boil it down to the simplest form thing? Watcher's pet. Watcher's pet.